everyone, and welcome to season one, episode five of Living Leadership, coming at you from the School of Leadership Studies at Gonzaga University. I'm Tara Weir, and I have the pleasure of being the podcast host, and I am so excited to continue with our first season here. Living Leadership is eight webinars that are followed by eight conversational podcast episodes on topics really important to so many of us that really is surrounding community and workplace wellness. Such a good time in our world right now to explore this topic. And so we are leaning into what you need in and out of the workplace and how employers can support you in that and how you as a leader can lead in that. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by our guests, Dr. Mike Hazel and Dr. Jose Hernandez. If you were able to tune into our live webinar on February 23rd, you may have already had a chance to hear from them. And I highly recommend you do. It was a great conversation, but I will definitely quickly reintroduce them for our topic today. And the topic today is productivity practices, mindfulness, intentionality, and goal setting. All right, I'm going to start with you, Mike. Mike is an associate professor in the Communication and Leadership Master's Program in the School of Leadership Studies at Gonzaga, and he directs the Strategic and Organizational Communication Concentration. He teaches graduate courses in organizational communication, relational communication, and leadership and mindfulness. I bet many, many of you have been in his classes. With a passion for the connections between communication and positive psychology, his published scholarship investigates the areas of communication, anxiety, and performance, mindfulness, and the scholarship of teaching and learning. Jose Hernandez was born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela, and has lived in the United States since 1987. He received a master's of science and a PhD in leadership studies from Gonzaga. He is an avid reader of leadership, theology, and social issues. And Jose is a quiet activist in conversations over racial injustice and immigration policies related to the developing world. He is the fitness director at Gonzaga University and an independent sports psychology consultant. So if you hear um, gym equipment moving and people playing basketball, it's probably on Jose's end. So also joining us today is Living Leadership webinar and podcast producer, our illustrious Emily Clay. webinar was fabulous. I It was such a pleasure to hear you both talk uh, deeply about 
values, not just the surface level, how can I manage my day better, but the values that can guide each one of us. And I really can't wait to go a little deeper into it, into the topic today. So um, let's start with the question I have, or really just want to get a little more information from you. Um, let's start with you, Jose, around values. Uh, and I, I'm learning about your work and how much that is so foundational to, um, to the leadership, uh, the leadership perspective you have. I just want to hear more about and, and really inform the listeners in what ways can we what, in what ways can we utilize clarity around our values to guide us in productivity, in stress management, in um, showing up as our best selves as best as possible? Jose. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and um, I'm pleased and very grateful to be here today, honor as well. Um, Vera, thank you for the question and thank you for the intro as well. Um, yes, I mean, this is. I mean, these are like three questions in one, and I, I just wanted to just try to keep it as simple as possible. But the the, the very first one that I'm going to just uh, give you is um, values. I mean, obviously, I have all of us have personal values and principles that we guide our lives uh, through. But in general is uh, it start with the fundamental one is that valuing the people that you work with, the people that you uh, serve with. I mean, in my case, I work with the Gonzaga uh, community, I work for Gonzaga community, and I work not only with, for, and also, um, uh, what is it, in Gonzaga's community. And so for me, that's the first thing. I value them, and as a result, um, each person is uh, important to me. So when people come right here, I tell my staff, uh, we get here at 6 in the morning, we have the energy. By the time that is 10 at 9 or 9 at 9 uh, at night, um, we might be tired. But these people that are coming for the first time, they have the right to just have the same energy, the same customer service, the same, because we should value whoever comes at six and whoever comes at 10. And so um, it, it may be cheesy, but it is the truth. I mean, that's why we just try to build this customer service. That is our first, our number one core value here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that that's 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 what I start with, and so uh, and um, try to stay away from feeling sorry for what what time it is or how <laughs> tired I am. Is that that is in front of me, and so and when uh, I go to number two, and number two is the opposite. I had to go back to number one and remember that that's what I'm here for. And so uh, hopefully that 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 makes sense. Absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. And I, uh, if you knew me, one of the things you'd know is that I believe cheesy brings us into our hearts and that is where the magic happens. So bring on more cheesy if you need to, um, because that's really, you know, we're talking about being, being authentic and real with each other and, and value, you know, 
value each other's vulnerability. So thank you for, for sharing that. Mike, what, what do you want to chime in about this topic of values and um, leadership, productivity? You know? Well, I think it's, I mean, my mind was just firing and going in all kinds of directions okay. down many different rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> I think about the personal, right? That uh, ideally you've thought about what your own values are, like what sort of inviolate, um, you know, what's going to ground you no matter what happens externally. And we're humans and we make mistakes and we're flawed and we're limited. And, um, but at the same time, really trying to stick to those like fundamental core beliefs and values in terms of what's important. Um, but what I also think about is the practicality of it from a strategic organizational leadership sort of um, lens in that if you look at a lot of people that are leaders in a big larger companies and smaller companies, oftentimes they're hired to come in and really influence sort of fundamental areas around a company. What are a, com a company's values? What is, how does that value influence vision? How does that influence mission? How does that influence strategic planning? And as we continue, as you sort of develop those things, the, uh, that fundamental value is something that just should never change and never be compromised. And that came home to me when we were doing strategic planning for what was then the School of Professional Studies, which again, kind of tongue in cheek was kind of viewed as the, the island of misfit toys at Gonzaga, there were all kinds of different programs that would come into the School of Professional Studies. And we had nursing and we had continuing ed and we had leadership and we had communication and we had human physiology. And as we sort of morphed in terms of becoming our own school with an identity that was significantly focused on leadership while still amalgamating these different subjects, we had a really good board that our former acting Dean Joel Albert put together. So we had CEOs of former CEOs of uh, Silicon Valley companies, uh, CEO of a credit union, um, educators, politicians, people that loved Gonzaga and loved what they had seen here. And we just sort of all gathered together. And I was fortunate at the time to be the chair of a department. And I'm can't come from academia, so I don't come from industry. So it's fascinating to see how people that had achieved a lot of success in those in, in the upper air of organizations um, were coming together around how do you put together strategy? How do you think about it? How do you measure it? And we started with values. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was really interesting to me because it's something we really try to embody as educators and ethical obligations we have. But for that to kind of emanate from a very formalized strategic planning process was really interesting to me. So I think there's a significant parallel between how you wake up every day personally and say, you know, what, what is important to me? Um, what do I affirm in myself? What am I trying to do this day? that I will not get back. Um, and the ebbs and flows of the currents and the winds and the stresses, all those things happen. But um, that helped me to really solidify what I thought was a value. And so when you, and when, when you asked that question to Jose, that's where my mind immediately went. And I remember uh, 
we had um, Howard Behar, who, you know, took a little company in Seattle. He started with 28 stores and he left when there were 1500 and he had a community college education. And his dad, you know, is from a Jewish community in Ballard and his dad at a grocery store and he infused those values into the company he took over Starbucks. Um, and so it's it was profound to think about how he talked about interwoven into his experiences were his experiences in growing up working in his dad's grocery store and the values that he thought were so incredibly important for Starbucks were the values that he got from working in his dad's shop. So stories like that, like they were, they're very influential um, in terms of how I think about it. So I know I might've gotten off on a tangent, but that's what I started thinking about. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing what came up because that isn't a tangent. That's just where you're at. I think we like tangents in the podcast. I think okay. we do. Really. I'm down with that. I'm my ADHD mind, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm same man. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate that we're talking. I love the stories. The, the stories and those examples are so useful in us being able to really visualize that for ourselves and for the people we work with, our families, you know, what's our family values and what do we care about? Um, you know, and, and the work that I do with my clients starts with values because mm-hmm. we, and a lot of the conflict comes from, well, they don't value what I value. Okay. Well, let's learn how to work within each other's, you know, differences. So this is absolutely fundamental and um, especially a part of strategic planning. So I love that you brought that in because that's a really fun process to facilitate too. Yeah. So we have our foundation of our values. Now, one of the questions that came up for me and what I want us to just do almost like a free association brainstorm about are micro skills that Mm -hmm. like that term that you use, Mike, it's so helpful to think about it because when I think of a micro skill, it's like, well, I can do that. (laughs) You know, it's not this mountain. It's like, well, yeah, I can try that. I can try that. Yeah. What was it? Four, seven, eight, four. Yeah, I can try that. So I think that it might be helpful for people listening to hear just a whole variety of micro skills in terms of, and let's maybe, let's maybe start with, um, uh, let's start with getting centered because boy, was this conversation you had like, man, hope, forgiveness, getting, being centered miracles. That was just like, talk about my lights going off. It was just, I was lighting up. So let's, let's start with being present. Um, what are some more micro skills that you can put out? Um, and, and maybe somebody's listening to this and didn't see the webinar. So some, you know, throw in some of those if you want. No, I think it's a really a really good question. That notion of Jose mentioned it, right? That oftentimes we're either preoccupied with the past or worried about the future and we're not. And so that importance of being in the now in that space is really important. And it's not easy. It's not, you know, it doesn't come automatically. It takes practice. It takes intention. And, um, and we have all these things competing with us like fatigue. If you've worked a 12 hour day or increasing demands or conflict or help, I mean, boy, just name it. Right. So, so I think de- developing, let me use the word ritual or habit that, um, I fortunately gained some wisdom in my 55 years. Fortunately, I'm still a work in progress, but like, if I could go back and talk to myself in my thirties, I would do precisely what you just talked about. How do you center yourself? And I think it, it becomes a sort of daily practice 
where if you have a, a sense of, you know, okay, I've got a job to do. I have different roles that I f- fulfill, but I'm really going to strive to be focused on today and the tasks that are today, but then what's not what's urgent, what's important and what's, how do you discern between urgency and importance? Mm -hmm. And so then um, having those rituals of balance in your life, uh, uh, exercise, trying to get some, you know, trying to get sleep relationships, um, trying to find the spaces of gratitude. I think we talked about that a little bit. These are simple, but by no means simplistic. And I guess I'll share something pretty personal. You know, I lived in Japan for seven years and um, I was profoundly influenced by my time in Japan. And I think we're in like Western society, even though it's become a lot more secularized, we're still very influenced subconsciously as a society by Judeo-Christian values. Um, in Japan and the, and say India, there's a huge Buddhist influence. And so people may not even be practicing Buddhism or identify as Buddhist, but you see it infused in the culture. Mm -hmm. And much about that, like that whole notion of Zen is being present, aware, and connected. And then the whole notion that that we are very finite, we're only here for a little while. And so... So there's this notion of what's called Kaizen. And in fact, talk about like practical examples. Tokyo's adopt, uh, Toyota's adopted it as kind of a company mantra and way of going forward. But Kaizen is this notion of continual improvement. But philosophically, if you look at the Chinese, the Japanese characters that make up Kaizen, um, they sort of symbolize this sense of humility, but that there's strength in humility. Mm-hmm. So that like true humility is not this like false, you know, sackcloth and ashes. I'm a bad person, but it's like this awareness of, okay, I'm, I'm strong in certain areas, but I'm limited in other areas. And I want to focus, I need to focus on what I need to work on. Mm-hmm. And you see like that in coaching and, and other things where, so it's just this fundamental notion of, okay, I'm imperfect, but I'm going to identify areas that I can grow. And that can be done through friendships and relationships and feedback. And I'm going to make intentional effort to try to improve. And like that, just those little tiny micro steps. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's this incredibly empowering way to operate because you don't you kind of get to check your ego at the door. And you're just like, you know, that was a really bad speech or you made a lot of mistakes in that paper. It's like, yeah, yeah, I didn't prep and I was really tired and I screwed up and I'm getting my eyes aren't as good as they were. But it's like, okay, I will seek improvement. And what it also does, I think, is it if you're living that authentically, the people, people around you can feel that they don't feel this hidden false pretense of defensiveness and Mm -hmm. maybe aggression or oftentimes housed in fear and insecurity. It's like. Mm-hmm. They sense that authenticity. And so once I started applying that, teaching that to my students, um, infusing that and in how do we help people grow, you know, like I, I my colleagues give me feedback in meetings, because like, I have sometimes I have problems listening because I get distracted. And so I'm working on that. And I trust people to give me feedback about that. And that's helped me get better at that. But it was this fundamental sort of shift in a growth mindset that has really been incredibly empowering and it is not complex. It's just, you just got to kind of keep chipping away. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Well, Mike, what you're, what's coming up for me is the idea of what you had talked about earlier, Jose around, or you both really did about resources. And it's like what, and the community that we can count on and utilize with each other to, to learn and grow and, and aim to be better now than I was an hour ago, (laughs) you know, um, and, and the humility and the reality that, we're all human. We do the best we can. You know, it's enough. And I aim to do something different next time. Or what did I learn from that? How can I, how can I do it differently? Um, so Jose, did I ask you yet about like, let's, let's just, I'd love to hear about your thoughts, any more ideas and tips. Um, and actually before I, before that, I wanted to just add one thought about the, the, the trick of linking your habits. So when I, so I have, um, I have an injury that I need to do physical therapy on. And it's like getting it in my day had been really hard. Well, now I'm like, wait a minute, I brush my teeth and the little buzzer buzzes every 30 seconds. And I'm supposed to stretch every 30 seconds. So I've, I've linked them. And now I, I don't, have to work it in. It's just a part now of what I do to, um, in my daily habits, because there's some habits that we just don't even think about. So if we can mm-hmm. link those, that's really, that's helpful in, um, in, in creating new habits and, and creating, um, new patterns in our lives. Um, so, and then to, to try to brush your teeth and multitask, like you were saying, Jose and stretch, and then try to be present. Woo, yeah. Good luck mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> it's good practice. So what are your thoughts? Well, uh, uh, gosh, I mean, uh, Mike spoke so many, I mean, mentioned so many things. And, and the, the, the truth is that I'm so glad that you mentioned that one and the brushing your teeth, right? Because so many of us just do it automatically. I mean, the truth is, that, um, you know, uh, we now, we COVID, most of us stay home, right, for a year, Uh you were by yourself, so you didn't. Need, you didn't need to brush. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> but, we, but we still do it, right? It's, because it's, 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 it's like Mike says. It's a, it's a situation that um, we 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 were so created habit by doing it every day for over a period of time, and now it becomes part of what we do, and so. Uh, likewise, I mean, we can just, uh, I, I personally use the word contemplation as something that um, I learned a while ago. Contemplation as is something that we see, but it's a different seeing than the regular scene, right? It's uh, basically a contemplation that goes like this. If I, if I, if I see close enough and able to, to recognize things, you know, what I do right, what I do wrong, and as a result, I can, I can, what is it? Um, since I'm recognized, I can also, uh, what is it? Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, gosh, um, uh, be happy for when I see something good. Um, and it's, um, it's something that, that I have uh, created and created a habit to do. And so, the other part is trying to just create a, a receptive awareness or when I am experiencing something, when I'm with somebody or when I'm trying to do a task, not to put limitation, labels or judging, 
and just experience that. That helped me to stay in in the present moment. And that came easy, no, not because I mean, from the moment that we are born, we are raised to just what is good, what is not good. So stay away from this, stay away from that. And so uh, again, he Mike says, uh, I, I wish I would have had that when I was thirty. <laughs> that now that I'm 72, I mean it's been a long time ago, and uh, I am not 72. So uh, <laughs> I know I'm like what? <laughs> now that I'm this old, and so it's like uh, I better gain some uh, knowledge about all these years and why it works for me now and for my surrounding. Um, one more thing is being being present on what is practical and what is what I can do well, what I cannot do. And then sometimes I can focus on things that can improve, especially for those around me, because they it's not their fault that I'm that is that that's that's some of my flaws. But at the same time, I cannot spend too much of my time right there. I need to also utilize my strength. Yeah. That I make them better, and so you know it's it's just an understanding a balance, yeah. and like I said earlier, start with that in the morning. You know, have to find centeredness so that you understand in the day starting better get going. Yeah, everything that we're talking about and that you talked about on the webinar is so much about practicing and creating those new neural pathways, strengthening that muscle, and and that idea, what I've noticed is with the practice of mindfulness meditation, I don't respond as reactively to situations that would have if I had not started my day that way. Because it's like, well, I'm already practiced at it. It's already somewhat in my, um, you know, just in my awareness. And I, I'm able to respond instead of to react, you know, and we were, you were talking about uh, at the, during the webinar, uh, they were talking about negative feelings and how can one of the ways you ended, I loved how you did that, Mike, was ending on like, you know, the brain research on how to be happier, right? Because that seems to be something where many people are trying to do chasing, following or whatever, um, and naming those negative feelings. You know, that's a habit. It's like, mm-hmm. and all of these things are, things that we practice and then like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got pretty wrapped up in that, you know, or I'm pretty worried about what was coming or I was really hung up about what just happened and how can I be present in that? And okay, I'm going to name those feelings. And it's, and then if I don't like, Oh, wow, I spun for about an hour about that. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, maybe next time it'll be 50 minutes, <laughs> you know, where can I improve and, and giving ourselves that grace, giving ourselves that compassion for being a human being that, um, that have some pretty deep grooves, right? I mean, from our childhood, from our lives, we have some pretty deep brain, you know, brain patterns. Um, so I, one of the resources that I want to mention is Marshall Rosenberg's work. And he does, he, he has so much literature and writing and, and foundations and all sorts of work on nonviolent communication, which I, I think of as compassionate communication and a, an emphasis of where it starts is being aware of our feelings and it's expanding our vocabulary. How can I get more creative about how I can describe 
anger, you know, or disappointment? Like what are some of the nuances that can help me really understand it for myself so that I can turn it around or I can release it in that way that you talked about, Mike, where it's like, it's helpful to even just name that it changes our physiology. Um, So his work is really powerful that he, he focuses very much on feelings. And, and one of the things that I think is a really important step is to get really clear when I have a thought and when I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. And we often hide our thoughts in the phrase, I feel like, or I feel that. And so teasing that out and saying, okay, when I think this thought, I feel frustrated or I feel um, worried or, you know, and to really, to tease that out. So Marshall Rosenberg also focuses on needs and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs of the, you know, human motivation, motivating us by our unmet needs. So all of that effects are in this moment, how we're reacting and responding to people. So the practice of being able to name those feelings and really name those needs and, and being empowered to meet those needs. So anyway, that is like, I, I mean, I can, we'll get off my soapbox now, but I truly love his work on that subject. Yeah. And I think it's very powerful that, I mean, there's so much in there again, that's now supported by neuroscience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And just the whole notion of how human beings respond to threat or conflict or aggression. And so um, that whole notion of having a real sense of approaching things nonviolently um, in your language right, um, can do things to diffuse difficult situations and have practical effects of being more influential. So no, I'm really glad you brought that up. And again, it's interesting because it gets kind of micro skilly, right? They, I mean, when you talk about like hostage negotiation that FBI and law enforcement go through, it's highly sophisticated and it's often manifested in language and, and the stages that you would work through as you were trying to diffuse that situation without you needing to use force, um, and at the higher levels, there's it's classified information. So, but we have enough access in our as lay people, you know, civilians to great books, um, current research that we can incorporate that in our own lives. And I think that nonviolent communication piece is just a, a skill in the toolbox that can be profoundly effective. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the foundation of that work is connecting to ourselves. You know, it's like connecting to me and what I'm feeling because communication is about us connecting. Right. But it's connecting to myself first. So, um, yeah. And really that idea of being centered, I feel like both of you, I mean, even in the podcast, we've touched on it, but I know Jose talked about that quite a bit in the webinar too, of just, you know, how important it is to feel centered. That was actually a new year's resolution of mine this year is to try to you know, feel more centered in, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And I've put, I've put things into practice to try to get to that place, but I'm curious to hear from all of you. What do you think being set? Like, how do you define being centered? And then like, how do you measure that? How do you measure oh, how you yeah. really start to feel that way every day? That's a really good question. Yeah. I, I, I like to just uh, jump on and just tell you something, because I mean, it means, for a lot of people, it means different thing, uh, things. And uh, for me, being centered is, is, is this ability not, I'm going to use a bad word, 
not to freak out. <laughs> no, sorry. But <laughs> I I'm just traumatized by that word. <laughs> yes. By that, and by that I mean is that regardless of what happened, you just there's this calmness about going to do what you need to do. Uh, let me just give you an example. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's being able to, when this bad happened, what we consider bad is, uh, again, this is sound cheesy, right? But um, it's always an opportunity when you have a challenge. It's not an opportunity for you to just see uh, through those eyes of being calm, collected, to do to, to to make something happen or the other option is to just being so emotionally charged so emotionally uh what is it um distressed and we cannot do anything and so somebody else had to do something for you and to get a solution for for this thing most of the time as an athlete I always thought that I was missing that stuff. And that's why when I decided to use do my grad school, I had to incorporate self-discipline, self-leadership, leadership overall, and then sports psychology because I wanted to become a better person. The athlete, I mean, it was done, but uh, a better person can be. So I feel calm. This is the first thing. And I can just accomplish something that in sports is required. Mm-hmm. Right? It reminds me of that quote. It's like, if, if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes worrying about it. <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah. Mike, what are your thoughts? Um, I have a few. I, I really like the question, Emily, because talking about it at a personal level and then the all important, like how do you measure it, right? As a researcher, how do you think about it? So... I I resonate with what Jose is saying. I think it's, to a certain degree, it is a feeling. And um, in my own personal case, sometimes I feel like there are these external forces that I'm really reacting to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's by necessity, just given the demands of my role or just stuff that comes up. Um, but what I found is, and it takes time and practice and like rep, you know, constancy, like mm-hmm. it, you just, it just has to be something as, um, Tara mentioned, you just ingrain into your habits. But if there is this way that you, and it doesn't t- need to take a lot of time. If you can just start with, uh, breathing, um, start the day with a set of intentions about what you want to accomplish. Um, and you stick to that ritual and then you sort of check in at certain times during the day. Um, it's amazing. You can, you can have micro doses of mindfulness throughout your day and it doesn't have to be seated meditation. So if you can just literally like, it's very cold outside, but after that webinar, you know, I've been in my basement all morning, this, unfortunately I'm not in the real Brady bunch house. Um, and I just went outside and it's sunny and I, it's beautiful. It's cold. And I just was out there in the sun. And, um, it was a moment to reconnect with something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so like doing that over time and then 
I think at times like when in the mindfulness course, we have our students keep a journal. I don't do that now, but I did for a while. And there, I, I've got enough practice within me that I know when I'm sort of getting out of balance. I know when I'm getting stressed out or I know when I'm getting mm-hmm. irritable. Um, so that's the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's very similar too in how I think about it. And I, I, I know for myself, there's certain clues where it starts to show and I'm like that I'm not being ground, you know, I'm not, not grounded. I'm not feeling centered. So physiological things I'll notice. I'll start to get my shoulders tight. I'll start to notice that I'm breathing more shallow than I'd like. So that's Mm -hmm. when I would kick in deeper breathing, belly breathing. Um, it's those kinds of clues. I'll notice that I'm irritable. Like you just said, and, and my feelings or reactivity to things. Um, and, and, and then I, I have some go-to practices that I can, that I can do anywhere at any time. And I started my practice trying to be mindful when I was washing my dishes. Mm-hmm. That's when I started. It was like, all right, I'm just going to practice this. And then sometimes it's like, okay, if I'm in the shower, how long can I go in the shower without thinking about 600 things and actually just be present? Right. So that was a great place for me to practice. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I think that, um, again, it's just that repetition and, um, and for me being centered means a calmness as well. For me, I don't necessarily measure it, but I can see in the way that my teenage daughter responds to me of when I'm centered or not, it's good feedback because when I'm more centered and I'm, I'm grounded, then she tends to show up that way. Um, and then the, the other piece that for me has been really valuable because I can get like, I can get in the flow. There's times when I'm in the flow and I'm just like, I'm, I'm in it and I'm just loving it. And I'm really focused. And then there's times and that feels good. And then there's times when I'm really in it and I'm stressed or I'm really in it because I'm thinking about the future or reflecting on the past and the stress of that. And so what I, what I try to do is I zoom out as if I'm like a fly on the wall of my own experience in that moment. And I just notice it, like just literally notice it. And there's some immediate peace that I feel when I practice that it's like my physical, my shoulders drop, my, I, I start breathing deeper again. And it's, it's this like, so it's interesting that it's like, I'm, I can be focused and I can be in a really calm place or I can be stressed. And when I'm stressed, I can, I can, I can, uh, like you'd said, sensory, you know, it's like, I get sensory aware of my senses, but then I can zoom out and be a witness and observe it. Um, Another awesome, great resource is Michael Singer's book called the untethered soul. And um, it's spiritual. So buckle your seatbelt, which it's just made a huge difference in my life. Um, I can say that, but, um, and I'm not interviewing anyone talking about spirituality. (laughs) So, um, so that is, he really has some great writing and practices around becoming that witness, that observer. And in that process of becoming the observer of the monkey mind or the chatter or the, the physical reactions, it, it calms. So I just, one of my favorite books. 
it, can I make an add on to that? Because you're, you're talking about a meditative practice. So something I've sort of taught mindfulness um, and, and introduced the students to a lot of different practices, including like um, Charles Duhigg's habit, you know, habits and uh, becoming aware of habit loops. It, it It's kind of a broad based awareness. But recently I came across something that I think was really, really powerful. And I think there are different ways to think about like interiority. Uh, from a faith tradition or or not necessarily Contem- like Jose mentioned contemplation often that times that's really involved in sort of a interior sort of Christian practice um, Buddhism and Hinduism Zen tend to be more formalized meditation you know almost like a yoga it's almost like a, a set of exercises and a lot of times they talk about monkey mind. So one of the things that happens when you get involved in meditation is almost immediately when you start to focus on your breath and relaxing and becoming aware of senses of tension and you're training your brain to get in that space where you can be focused. It's like learning to walk before you can run. Mm-hmm. What'll happen is your mind, your brain starts like it is, it's monkey mind. The brain is there. And the idea is, in that sort of traditional sense. Um, okay, well, you acknowledge that just like you might acknowledge the cloud in the sky or the rain coming down or uh, the cold on your face or the warmth, but it's the weather. It's not you. It's something that you're experiencing and thoughts are the same. But there's a subtle shift that I think is very powerful. And that is instead of focus, when you're doing meditation, if you chose that route, instead of focusing on the thought itself, you focus on that whereby you are able to perceive that thought. <laughs> and, and people, they have this misconception about meditation that it's this tug of war. It should be kind of, it, it, if, it's, if you're feeling uh, stressed and tense, then go for a walk and make it a walking meditation. Right. You know, something that, that nurtures you, because you can do a walking meditation. You can be focused. Meditation oftentimes is mindfulness is being aware. So I'm aware that it's awareness is what it is. So in your formal meditations, if you start to get those thoughts that come in, instead of saying, okay, I'm just going to bring my focus back to my breath. I'm going to bring my focus to that whereby I am aware. I am awake and I am aware of this thought. So like I can even actually do this right now. I'm talking. I don't know how my hands are moving and we're involved in this conversation. But there's another part of me that is aware of this. I can see you, Emily. I can see you, Jose. And and I can see what's happening in the the conversation. And it's this, this, this quality of self. And that has really helped me progress. Nice. And it's subtle, but it's not. It's not unimportant. I think it's powerful. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to just, it's like a different way of describing that zoom out that I'm talking yeah. about. It's like, yeah. you're, you're the watcher. You're, you're mm-hmm. the aware, you're the aware one. Yeah. Is, is, is it awareness or your awareness? Yes. You're aware that you're aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think when you're in kind of the flow state, I mean, you talk about sports psychology and I've seen athletes in the flow state. It's yeah. unbelievable. And I've been in the flow state a couple of times, not when I would have wanted to, but I mean, it was weird. Yeah, it was it extraordinary. It was an extraordinary experience that I couldn't replicate, but it was powerful and it was real. I think in that those flow states, you're just 
your awareness, right? There's a, this higher, this deeper level of yourself that somehow comes into awareness. But the practice of where you're feeling distracted and then bring, bringing yourself back to trying to get to that space of what quality do I have that even, that I'm awake, I'm aware, I'm aware of being aware, I'm aware of being stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're in flow, you just are. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. True. Totally unaware that you're totally in it. You're just time to stop. You know, you lose track of time. Yes. You you lose track of space. It's just, it's a pretty amazing feeling. And and the truth is that when you are aware that you are there, then you mess it up. You are. Exactly. (laughs) You've come out of the flow. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, I know that we could all four of us talk about this for days. um, And yeah. So we'll have to call it a wrap here because we're, we're running out of time, but I just want to thank all three of you, Emily, Jose, and Mike for this conversation and Emily for your insightful questions and that, um, you know, that not only did you participate so beautifully in the webinar, but this further conversation today on our podcast. So uh, I, we are so thankful for you all being here. Well, thank you, Tara. And I tell you what, the uh, time flew by for me. So <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation. The podcast hour always flies by. It's- yeah, I looked at the clock and I went, I can't believe it's almost five. <laughs> oh, I know. I love it. I know. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Well, um, for those of you, uh, well, I just want to say to everyone listening, don't forget to tune in to our next webinar and podcast, which will be dedicated to the celebration of Women's History Month. So the topic is workplace wellness for women and their disproportionate effects of COVID-19 on working mothers with Dr. Carolyn Carolyn Cunningham, Dr. Sherry Lynch, and Rebecca Butner. Just like uh, Emily said, these women have all, most of them have had some kind of influence in my life. So I'm grateful that they're going to be a part of the conversation. So the webinar, the webinar will live, bleh, start over. The webinar, webinar will air live on Wednesday, March 30th. Can you tell it's five o'clock at the end of the day? Um, Hi, Ben. Yeah. (laughs) So it will air on Wednesday, March 30th from 12 to 1. And then you can expect to see the podcast recording uploaded the following week. Again, we do not want to, we can't say it enough. We think we are so grateful to our sponsors for the Living Leadership webinar and podcast. Our sponsors are Canopy Credit credit canopy wow wow it is definitely <laughs> time to call today it. <laughs> canopy credit union and avista utilities that's really all for today we can't wait to see you next time thanks so much take care everybody Bye.